Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Solar panels work in winter. Solar energy output in Australia throughout winter is surprisingly high in some cities. You can learn more about better solar energy at B-Solar. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlife Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. Welcome to the First Serve, your home of tennis. Well, on this final day of February, welcome to another big show. Brett Phillips in the chair. If you'd like to uh, call in uh, live uh, tonight, one three hundred seven three six seven three six to join in the tennis conversation. If you prefer to text, oh four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. All thanks to Tennis Direct, Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices, free delivery on orders over 150 bucks, Visit tennisdirect.com.au. You'll get that nice 10% discount store-wide using the promo code FIRSTSERVE10. On the B-Solar menu tonight, the week's on a roll in just a moment, UTR Part 2 from last week's show to the ITF headquarters in London. Andrew Moss, head of the ITF World Tennis Tour and Pathway Strategy to join us. one 736 736 Last chance, in fact, to be our... Best February caller for a case of the US Open XD Tennis 3-ball, 24 cans to a case, a 30-pack of the Wilson Pro Overgrip and uh, six Luxel and Alley Power 125 sets the top string on tour, superior power, control and spin potential, all thanks to Wilson, as well as the Sunbless Sunscreen, sunscreen pack specifically for tennis, golf, cricket, bowls, running and fishing. Head to sunblesssunscreens.com.au. one to this week's... Champions. Rafael Nadal is Mr. Invincible. It is a third straight title in 2022 as his astonishing unbeaten start to the year continues. For the fourth time in his career, Nadal is the Mexican Open champion. Very, very difficult conditions. Cameron is a, is a very solid player, he's a tricky player. He makes you feel that you cannot play comfortable against him at all. I have been going through some very difficult moments no, during the match, no, but I was able to save, take advantage when I had the, the chances. No? So very pleased, uh, it's a very important title for me, so uh, I can't be happier. You're the youngest champion here, you're the oldest champion here, <laughs> and now you're the first champion in this brand new stadium. What does Acapulco mean to you? Well, always have been a very special place. No? The energy that the, the people from, from Mexico brings to me is unique. It's great to have uh, an amazing new stadium. Always is a very beautiful thing when you see tournaments that are growing and are able to keep investing in our sport. That's very important for our sport. Andrei Rublev can't stop winning. Title number 10 for the Russian. And it's two in two weeks. Marseille last week. And tonight, it's delight in Dubai. Yet another title 
at ATP 500 level. And rest for maybe one week now, and I feel super happy, <laughs> even though maybe I'm tired. And yeah, I was I think I was really lucky today that Jury also was super tired. He he had really tough matches since Qualis, three sets. He beat top players starting from the first round. Igor Spiontek takes the title in Doha with the most exquisite performance. But I'm pretty happy that I could play solid today because you know before the match I I got pretty stressed because it seemed even impossible to beat you on it. Um, the last tournaments that you had, I wanted to you know show my support to all the people who are suffering in Ukraine. Seeing those images is really emotional for me. I wouldn't even you know imagine something like that happening to the country next to me. So I hope everybody at the end is gonna be you know more safe. He is the champion here in Santiago. The moment in his career, Pedro Martinez of Spain, a winner in his sixth year on the tour. It's that winning feeling again. Four years without a title, but that sequence ends tonight. It's trophy time for Sloane Stephens. Career final number 10 yields a seventh WTA title for the American. I had the best time. I had the best guacamole and horchata ever in the world. So um, I'm so happy to come and play here. I hope to come back many more times. I know how difficult it is to put on tournaments, especially in these times. I want to say thank you to everyone at home watching. Um, my family, my husband. Ooh, so weird to say that, my husband. Um, um, and everyone back home. I know they've been supporting me from home and just giving me so much good energy. Guadalajara, you are amazing to me. So I appreciate you guys. Um, just treating me like family. Breaking down the winners, thanks to our new partner. Great to have AATC on board tonight, Australasian Academy of Tennis Coaches, providing quality coach education across the globe. Courses delivered by industry leaders and tennis business owners. Learn locally, coach globally, internationally endorsed, inquire and enrol at aatc.tennis. And you can't go wrong. 91st ATP Tour title for the great Rafael Nadal. What a start to the year. The Melbourne Somerset, the Australian Open and Acapulco, one of the best stops on the tour. Third straight title. He moves back to four in the world. Uh, Sitsi Pass drops a spot down to five. He beat Daniil Medvedev, who'd already secured the number one ranking with Djokovic exiting Dubai early. But then it was uh, Rafa in uh, much more comfortable fashion uh, than at the end of January at the Australian Open. Uh, beat uh, Medvedev 6-3, 6-3, and then took care of Cam Norrie. He's had a really good resurgence after a 0-4 and four start to the year. 10-2 and two with, of course, the uh, title in Delray Beach, um, quarterfinal Rotterdam and runner-up now in Acapulco. So it's been a good return to form for Cam Norrie, but Rafa, too good. A couple of breaks to serve, 4-4. Four and four. He gets it done. So the big talking point of the week, well, two, really. I mean, Daniil Medvedev breaking the stranglehold of the world number one ranking, which has been dominated by the big three, Andy Murray for a period for the best part of the last 18 years. Been a phenomenal period in men's tennis. And Daniil Medvedev is right now 150 points ahead of uh, Novak Djokovic. And really now, the uncertainty of when Djokovic plays again, pretty much ruled out of Indian Wells, Miami, uh, with the situation in the United States. So Medvedev could really extend that lead. The Alexander Zverev situation... Certainly covered on SEN a lot last week, covered through our social media channels. Look, it wasn't great. It was, you know, it was terrible, in fact. I mean, the, I think the penalty minimum should be missing Indian Wells and Miami. They are the two next big feature events 
on the ATP Tour. There has to be a tournament or tournament suspension. I know there are people who probably think that should be uh, much harsher the penalty, that he maybe misses the next Grand Slam or the next two Grand Slams. The uh, ATP investigating, we should get more of an announcement on that this week. And the unfortunate little eye injury to John Millman, I think we everyone saw that, quite innocuous. Um, a poke in the eye is not good at any uh, stage of your life, whether you're a professional tennis player. Uh, but John had been going very nicely. That was a bit unfortunate in round one. Ellie in St Kilda. Ellie, you can kick us off on a uh, Monday night. Good to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks. How's it going? Going well. What do you got for us? Um, yeah, a few things just watching some of the tennis this week. Firstly, it's great having a whole bunch of tournaments on at the same time. So you're finding one a bit boring, you go to the other one, and then you keep on switching, so that's good. Indeed. Um, <laughs> but a few things I noticed. Firstly, in Santiago, two, two clay court super talents, I think, um, emerged there. Firstly, Tabilo, Alexandro yes. Tabilo, like and Baez. I think people already seen a bit of Baez because he played in the next gen last year. But Tabilo, he's freaky. He is freaky talented. Yeah. He can pretty much do anything with his racket, and he's just so good to watch. Drop shots, lobs, massive forehand, good call, volley. Like he is just ridiculous. Really good call, uh, Ellie. He knocked over Christian Garin, of course, a fellow Chilean who was the top seed. So he's inside the top 100 for the first time. He's really impressed me the last uh, six months. And you mentioned uh, Sebastian Baez, who was runner-up, who I thought had that final today. I really thought he was going to win that in straight sets. Uh, The door was just left a little open. The experience of Pedro Martinez, six years on the tour, wins his first tour title. He's up to 50 in the world. But Baez, just think of the younger version now, Diego Schwartzman. They're both 170 centimetres. So the sport for all sizes, and Baez is, what, eight years younger than uh, Diego, and he might just carve out a very similar uh, career and, and make his way up the pecking order of uh, tennis. Ellie, just a quick one on Sitsi Pass as well. Oh, yeah. Something interesting I realised where he, he played, when, when he played Norrie, he didn't even look like winning. It was just so strange because he played brilliantly the round before, and I, I was trying to think, is it something about Norrie being left-handed? So I went online, I can't remember what the, what the website was, and I searched um, a whole bunch of the current, you know, young talents or, you know, relatively young talents, Zverev, yep. um, Rublev, Sitsipas against left-handers. And by far, Sitsipas has the worst record against left-handers. His, his record is 60-13, to 13, which is, you know, obviously incomparable to his, to his normal record. And I was just thinking, like, what is the reason? I think maybe the reason is that Sitsipas loves to hit a inside in forehand. That's, yes. that's sort of the way he loves to open up the court. And yep. if he if he gets it really early, you know, and he snaps at it really early, if if a right hander hits it hits at it with his forehand, it's naturally going to go up in the air. It's going to be a higher bouncing ball that Sitsipas can come and swat. But with a with a backhand, if he's playing a lefty, especially with a really strong counter punching backhand that Nori Nori has, it's really flat. So I think a lefty can really bump the ball back with a lot of counterpunch, even if it's late on the ball, you can always just, it's mm. easier to sort of redirect pace with the like backhand. That's yep. why I think this back struggles a lot more with lefties. Great call, Ellie. Beautifully uh, summed up. I, I like the uh, I like the inner thoughts there and a great observer of the game. <clears throat> he's got uh, he's got an in- interesting period coming up, Stefanos. I mean, he and Lopez won the uh, the double, so he's been pretty consistent. You know, making another semi-final in uh, singles, but you know, just playing so much. I just wonder whether it counts against him. Uh, at times, but they won the dubs. He and uh, Lopez knocked over Savile and J.P. Smith in the first round. 
Uh, Andre Rublev, back-to-back titles. So tough year last year for Rublev at Marseille, Dubai. He loves 500 level. And the challenge for Andre is to transfer now into the Masters 1000s, the Grand Slams. But he's building Evans, um, uh, McDonald, Hercatch along the way, uh, Vesely. Hercatch defeating Sinner. Uh, was a good result for Hubie. So into the quarterfinals, or in the quarterfinals, replaced him at 10, Sinner drops down to 11. Uh, the return of Novak, hadn't played for quite some time, was pretty solid for a couple of matches. Yuri Vesely, I mean, going back a few years ago, the big check was a guy you were looking at thinking, this guy's going to really uh, go to the, the top, of, or somewhere in that you know top 20, uh, top 30. I mean, Czech tennis produces good players, and then he sort of just lost his way uh, fell back a few rungs, um, had a tough year last year getting COVID, uh, was quite unwell there for a period. But yeah, he's the sort of guy that's got the game being the big lefty who can take a scalp like Djokovic and then took the scalp of Shapovalov uh, as well. John Piers, uh, Philip Palaszczuk uh, making the semifinals in Dubai. Of course, Piersy now in Sydney with our Davis Cup team. Uh, Pedro Martinez, we've mentioned, a great win for him in Santiago. What a great setting uh, for that tournament. I was watching that final uh, today. Uh, Quentin Hallis, of course, the Frenchman, up 22 spots to 120. Uh, he won the Challenger in France. And Jack Draper, uh, the big man from GB, three Challenger titles this year. He's gone from 262 to 145 in the ranking. So he's been a big mover, uh, six foot four at 193 centimetres. Uh, back-to-back titles in Italy, started the year in magnificent fashion. On the women's side, as we heard there, the little grab of uh, Iga Sviontek, uh, she's just busy. I mean, this has been her best season start. Fourth career title, so back up to number four in the world. Uh, good scalps uh, along the way. Sabalenka, who, as we said, the last couple of weeks is just going. Sarkari, to beat Contivate, who's been running hot since, what, the back end of last year, but to absolutely dispense of it like that, 6-2, 6-love in the final was... A great match. She's got a great team around her. So many minds who are contributing to the game of Iga Sviontek. And as she said uh, yesterday, she's playing more aggressively than ever. And that's been really a hallmark of her game since she came in. Uh, being really assertive out on the tennis court, directing the ball, taking the ball early, uh, just you know, really making it tough for um, her opponents. So I think you know she's certainly going to stay up around the top end. And uh, Sloane Stevens, the hot and cold Sloane Stevens, we called her the big event specialist. Uh, going back a period because she won that US Open, she won Miami, got to three in the world. You know, she'd win the big tournaments and absolutely stink up the smaller tournaments. And it's been four years in the wilderness for a player that's far better than what her ranking is. But back up to 39 in the world, she wins in Guadalajara in Mexico, uh, ends a four-year title drought. And, uh, of course, uh, former world number three defeated uh, Bushkova there in the uh, final, Maria Bushkova of the uh, Czech Republic, and had to work uh, pretty hard. And I want to mention Daria Saville. I'm still getting my head around Daria Gavrilova, now Saville. She defeated Emma Raducanu. Well, Raducanu retired, but that match went three and a half hours, then beat Dollar High, took a set off Sloane Stevens. So Dasher up 200 spots. It's still a fair climb for Dasher, up 200 spots to 410 in the world. Former top 20 player. There's no doubt if she can stay injury-free this year, she will certainly climb again. So that is our wrap of all the winners. We'll get to a few of your texts and we'll head to the UK next. Andrew Moss from the ITF to join us. Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With V-Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a V-Solar advisor. Visit v.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group. 
leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. Always good to have your company on a Monday night. one 736 736 the number to call to get involved. Uh, Michael says, Brett, do you think it's disrespectful that players continue smashing rackets after people go to the trouble of preparing these rackets? Well, Uncle Tony said to Rafa right from the outset, you smash one racket and I'm out of here for good. Has Rafael Nadal ever smashed a racket? Never. Now, sport is highly emotional. It's frustrating. But when you go to the extent of what Zverev did last week, that's way over the top. And hopefully the penalty uh, fits uh, what he did. I understand it was last week when she won, but how good is Ostapenko playing at the moment? Another semi going beautifully. She's a great ball striker, Yelena. So if she can just uh, bring the physicality and bring the consistency, she's always going to be dangerous. BP, loving Sviontek's start to the year. Been pretty consistent so far in 2022. Could be dangerous come... The clay court season. Look, I'm a fan. It's hard not to be a fan of Iga Sviontek. She's had a great grounding through juniors into the pros. She's got a beautiful game to watch. You know, she's got a coach, strength and conditioning. She's got a data analyst. She's got a psychologist, all part of the team who are trying to make her the best athlete that she can be. Well, we're going to shoot across to London and catch up with the head of the ITF World Tennis Tour, which is the entry to pro tennis, Andrew Moss, after who also looks after the pathway strategy all thanks to Melbourne's leading synthetic grass court surface and construction specialists, Asti Tennis Courts. They're trusted by Melbourne tennis clubs and councils. So check out aste.com.au. Andrew, uh, welcome to the program. Hi, Brett. Good to be on. Thanks for having me. Great to uh, have you on. There's a few things we want to uh, touch base with you uh, tonight. I suppose a pressing issue, certainly from uh, a world affairs point of view, which does have some impact on tennis is the Russia-Ukraine situation. And I know the ITF put out a, a statement last week because it does affect a few events, uh, Andrew, on the ITF tour. Mm. Yes, for sure. So um, probably goes without saying, but the, the health and safety of players is the number one priority for the ITF. Um, and so you know, in response to, to events in, in Russia and Ukraine, uh, the ITF has uh, indefinitely suspended uh, all events in Russia and um, on the professional side, um, we uh, have postponed an event in uh, Western Ukraine that was due to take place in the middle of April. So, you know, obviously, you know, we, we continue to, to monitor the situation, but absolutely, you know, top priority, health and safety of players. And, and that's where we are at the moment. No doubt. Um, Andrew, a bit of ground to cover. The ITF World Tennis Tour, we speak about it quite a bit on this program. We uh, speak to a number of the mm. Aussies who are trying to forge their way and make mm. a, a career out of uh, professional tennis. And we know that uh, men, women, there's so many ITF events every single week spread across, right across uh, the globe with different uh, levels of uh, prize money. Can you just give us, I suppose, the ITF's uh, view at the moment as to how you're seeing that ITF World Tennis Tour um, laid out on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Brett. It's uh, it is quite a uh, extraordinary number of events. So, the ITF's mission is the is the long-term growth of the game and delivering for future generations. And the World Tennis Tour, whether that's professional events or junior events, is the main artery of that. So, um, the Juniors World Tennis Tour is 18 and unders. Um, 
and the World Tennis Tour professional level um, takes players um, from juniors and takes them up and delivers them to ATP and WTA level tournaments. So it's about 1,100 professional tournaments um, and about 700 junior tournaments. It's 80 hosting countries uh, at professional level and over 140 uh, for juniors. So you know, as you've kind of uh, intimated, what Tennis Australia is hosting at the moment, I know there are events in Bendigo, uh, this week, and mm. there was Canberra a couple of weeks back. These are the events that, that launch players onto the onto the global pathway, and and many uh, Australians uh, have come through this pathway. Ashley Barty was, you know, junior number two, and, and Nick Kyrgios a, a junior number one. And if you go, you know, all the way up to the uh, the top 100 ATP and WTA on each side, over 80 were were top 100 juniors. So it's uh, it's a, a proven pathway. Um, and uh, it's one that we're continuing to work on so that we can deliver, you know, the best talent to the ATP and the WTA, you know, as quickly as possible. Part of this uh, at the moment, uh, we're looking to recover from the pandemic. And I think I think this year we're going to be in a, in a really good position. Um, so in a pre-pandemic year, as I say, about 1,100 tournaments. And this year we're looking at about 1,000 tournaments in total. Yep. The, um, the, the big question mark, uh, Brett, really is, as I'm sure you're only too aware, you know, travel restrictions in East Asia. Um, that's the that's the the big question mark. We know there's a lot of investment that is ready to go on uh, in East Asia, Southeast Asia. The fact that Tennis Australia, at very short notice, is putting on six to eight weeks of tournaments uh, for its players is great news, and I hope you know a welcome return. I mean, it's been really tough for the players uh, over the last 18 months, um, and so hopefully we can get something back to you know, as near normal and as near 2019 as possible. That, as you know, there's a lot of financial repercussions to, to COVID. And so the ITF is putting in millions of dollars of funding to make sure that prize money levels are stabilizing and, and keeping at that 2019 level as much as possible. That, that's a bit of an overview, but I don't know whether that's, that's, that's helpful for, for where we are right now. No, indeed. Uh, Andrew, can I just ask, and I think everyone listening in tonight, everyone who's involved in tennis, and this goes really to life as well. You've got to earn your stripes, right? Whether Whatever occupation you're in, you start, you do an apprenticeship, you work your way up and the results do uh, the talking. So often we talk on our show, what, what should be the mark in tennis where players are at least making some sort of living out of the sport as opposed to being break-even or making a loss? Now, uh, for those who are you know coming in, who you know play the 15k events, the 25k events uh, on on the men's side. The women's is a little different because there's no ATP challenger to us, so there's um, you know bigger prize money on offer. But often I think of players coming from Australia who've got to spend you know so much time abroad. And my question always to them is, how do they make this work uh, financially? Have, have you got a view, or is it, where, where does the ITF sort of sit at the moment? And I realise there's so many governing bodies, you know, seven in tennis trying to collaborate and and, you know, provide the best path uh, forward. But, I mean, I think we all probably acknowledge that there should be more players making a more sustainable living out of tennis. Oh, I 100% agree. Um, so uh, the ITF did a study. Um, actually, with um, with Tennis Australia, you may well know Makar Reed, And uh, we did a study of player, player earnings um, between 20... Uh, between 2001 and 2013. And the upshot of all of that was that just in covering basic costs, we're not talking about the cost of a coach, we're talking about travel and accommodation. There were about, at that stage, 336 men 
that could cover their basic costs with prize money and about 250 women. Now, A, that's not enough. And B, the discrepancy between men and women is something that needs to close. So I think the, the bit that we've really been working on uh, in the last couple of years is very much more of a kind of an activist approach to the calendar so that um, we can give players swings where you know they can cut costs they can play you know several weeks at a time in the same place and particularly you know at that at that level between the the 25s and the challengers on the men's side and between the women's 100,000 and WTA tour level on the women's side mm-hmm. but th- th- those are the kind of cuspal points between ITF sanctioned and tour sanctioned events we're, we're actually working uh in very close collaboration with the tours to make sure that we're scheduling those swings so that you know players can you know perhaps play qualifying at the high level event and then move straight onto an ITF level event. Yep. Yep. The, the 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 key challenge as as you as you've uh, as you've set out the key challenge is how can we get more players you know sustainable in the sport and part of that is some of those measures that we talked about but also you know this year Brett we're we're looking to put in place uh, a strategy for the next you know three to five years. And part of that is, you know, how can we at lower levels at the $15,000 and $25,000 level, how can we have swings of tournaments regionally so that players can go and play for a block of three or four weeks, can, you know, compete relatively cost effectively and then and earn their points and, and move up. So there's yep. a bit more that we have to do around that, because, as mm. you know, there's plenty of tournaments around the, you know, the littoral Mediterranean. There's Tunisia, Turkey, Egypt, yep. Greece. But, you know, we want to look at the viability of a regional hub in Southeast Asia. You know, I know only too well, and I'm sure you could back that up as well, that mm. you know, players from Oceania do have higher travel costs. And a lot of the time they are spending time away from Australia uh, in Europe or in places where there are more opportunities to play. And I think we need to you know, rebalance some of that. So I'm totally on board with with, uh, with what you're saying. Yeah, continued uh, work in progress, no doubt. And just one other thing I need to mm. touch on with you, because time always beats us on this show, but you are looking to create the ITF a world tennis number. Now, we spoke a lot about the UTR and our program. We're about to do a follow-up uh, after uh, the break as to how it's been rolled out here in Australia. Can you just give us a feel of the world tennis number? Does, does the ITF, Andrew, recognise UTR? Can you just give us some... Uh, some context there? Yeah, of course. So the concept of a rating um, is nothing new. So um, the idea of a rating is to give players more chance to play players of their same standard, right? And to increase competition and participation that way. So the ITF first looked at um, a rating back in 2001 uh, actually, I think in collaboration with Tennis Australia, I was reading a few a few days ago, um, and it was called the the ITN, the International Tennis Number. And uh, the reason it fell down, um, uh, Brett, simply was that data wasn't ready. You know, we weren't connected in the same ways that we are now with, yep. you know, all of life, you know, being being conducted online. So, you know, a few years ago, uh, 2017, 2018, the ITF relaunched. Uh, it's project for a for a world rating. This is the world tennis number. It is different from UTR. It's not a UTR. It's not an ITF uh, product. So the world tennis number is um, is uh, a rating that is being devised by all of the national associations uh, together. It's a it's designed to um, uh, 
provide an accurate rating. It's designed to uh, give a rating to countries who may not be able to afford it. You know, we we know that the costs of setting up a rating are anything from you know $100,000 to $3 million in different countries. So this is a this is uh, designed to be a public good. We're looking for the champions from tomorrow in wherever they are. So, so I think that's an important part of it. Um, and of course, it's something that we do want to use as uh, an additional pathway item um, to allow players to play more at home before they play professional yeah. tennis. You, yeah. you, um, you, you very, um, you know, coherently talked about, you know, the costs of players. Well, this is a tool that will allow players to cut their initial costs, mm. work out whether they're good enough yep. to play professional tennis by looking at the standards of other players, and then when they know they're good enough, they can they can make that jump. And I think the other point just to make about it is that um, at the moment there's no minimum standard of professional tennis. Any player can play, and that has caused integrity risk for the ITF in the past. And so you know what we can do with the world tennis number is to make it a, a certain level to make it a minimum standard of professional tennis so we make sure that we keep you know integrity uh, at a high level uh, at world tennis tour events andrew really appreciate some insights on our program i reckon we'll do it again uh, at some stage later in the year uh, we love the global nature of the game we want more players to make a living out of a, a sport they love and uh, the dreams that they, uh, they aspire to reach. It's a, a tough sport, certainly. Um, it, it tests every part of you physically and, and mentally, and, and not everyone gets the opportunity to get to the absolute top, but everyone can get something out of being in uh, professional uh, tennis. Really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. Happy to. Thanks, Brett. Andrew Thanks. Moss uh, joining us from the International Tennis Federation. He is the head of the ITF World Tennis Tour and also looking after the pathway strategy. You can go shopping at tennisdirect.com.au. That is Australia's favourite online tennis store. Fast delivery, great prices. 10% off using that code FIRSTSERVE10. UTR next. Better solar, better batteries, better energy. With B-Solar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a B-Solar advisor. Visit b.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management. At glgcorp.com, the first serve, your home of tennis. Welcome back to The First Serve. Wanted to do a UTR follow-up from the show last week. We had Tom Lana, Chief Tennis Officer from Tennis Australia, in the studio. Uh, thanks to Hume Tennis and Community Centre, a mini Melbourne park. It's in Melbourne's north. Tim Connolly and the team run a good show out there. It's got tennis for everyone, perfect also for coaches and players. If you're actually coming from interstate, Tullamarine to Craigieburn, short distance. Uh, accommodation is on site. You can train, play, eat, sleep and go in the gym as well. Uh, humetennis.com.au. So UTR, Universal Tennis Ratings. Uh, big discussion uh, on social media in particular. I actually caught up with uh, David Bulbullion, who I quoted in the chat with Tom Lana last week. So if you missed last week's show, go back and have a listen. He's 23 years of age, one of many in Australia, trying to get to a higher level. I've been playing tennis since I can remember. Pretty much now the UTR has been introduced as the primary system. My UTR sits at an awkward position around 11. In terms of national tournaments, basically I'm struggling to see a way for myself 
to not have my ranking lowered in these national tournaments, but gain entry into futures where I can really boost my ranking. So right now I'm sort of a little bit stuck and trying to figure out a way that I can get into these tournaments where I can really improve my ranking and have a good crack at it. Well, I didn't really think anything of the Australian system because that's just all I dealt with. And I didn't really think of the benefits and negatives, I suppose, because it's all I really knew. For me, it worked well. I had goals to reach the top 100 and in a couple of years of trying to do that I got very close so I got my ranking to 125 in the men's basically as soon as I got there which was my highest ranking we moved to the UTR ranking system where my UTR is a lot lower and that's changed my ranking to around 280 in the country where it's I'm sort of struggling to find where my next step is with the tournament system how I've seen it implemented in the last, say, four to six months, finding it hard to see where I can go. Like if it was like the French system where they feed you in in regards to what rank you are, say, so you're a higher ranking, you might get fed into the quarters or semis, which really, I guess, determines that you're going to get really good matches no matter what tournament you're playing because it's based on your ranking. But with this tier sort of set up and zoned set up with these tournaments, they're sort of fixing you into, say, you play a tournament where your UTR is 10.9, between 10.1 and 11.5. Say the majority you play are going to be below you. And I guess... Even if you win that tournament, most likely you're going to go down unless you win every match, say, one-on-one or love-and-love. Love. So I think the algorithm, from what I understand, is it's just very hard to see any improvement in your ranking if you're playing the majority of people below you. You look at, say, college or anywhere in Europe where they have that really diverse pool of players and you could go week in week out playing basically professionals and they wouldn't really see it as an issue because say you play someone below you the next week it's a very high chance you're going to play someone a lot higher than you I just think here with the tiers in the tournaments it's basically fixing you into where your ranking is now say UTR 7 you go in the tier where it's between six and eight i just don't see how you're going to jump to that next level between say eight and ten for a lot of juniors what i've understood is you can play well and i think what really makes you satisfied with playing well is looking on the paper and seeing your ranking go up it's mm -hmm. great to see it gives you goals you might want to have a ranking by the end of the year that you've really aspired to get to I think if you're not seeing that on the paper, it's very hard to really motivate yourself to keep going. I went over to Turkey the end of last year. No one talked about the UTR at all. So we were playing the guys that I was with, the Aussies. We played pre-qualies and the sort of the question came up to the tournament directors off. Like, is there any chance we can get this on, like recognised on the UTR? Because like we've beaten some good players who are, say, one band above us in the UTR. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, we can't do that for you. So it's having the... This system implemented here where every single match matters could really change how people play. I think with Pennant, a lot of the people, they either will really want to take it seriously or they might just want to still do it for fun. But I think the ones who want to do it for fun, they're just not really going to see a reflection on their ranking. Tom's response on the last show, he said it will take time to educate change. And I think that is definitely true. I think it's a great system seen in other countries, obviously. I just believe that it has been around long enough, say for the last two years. A lot of players really do know what this system does when it's like practically put out into the field. I'd love to know for someone like me, or there's probably, I'd say, 40 other guys who were around the similar ranking to me 
whose ranking has now dropped, who are wondering what to do, I guess. I'd just love to know what someone in my situation would do to really get to that next level. A lot of players are just going to the tournament that's closest. And I think for country tennis, that might be quite detrimental to a lot of clubs around Victoria and Australia. A perspective from two coaches. So first, Shane Scrutton, head coach of Yarra Tennis at Eaglemont Tennis Club, one of our key partners here on The First Serve. Look, I think it's been able to run different UTR events, provide flexibility. The club coach can provide little tournaments or little events or little match play, you know, for players in their program or for local players at a minimum minimum fee. So, you know, you can you can avoid the exorbitant tournament fees that players normally would have to, you know, provide. And it just gives those match play opportunities, considering the current climate, that you really need is with people being, you know, at the last minute, not being able to play association events or tournaments, you know, if they're in isolation or whatever, you can run, you know, an event at the same time, a minimum cost, and really provide something of, of value to either your existing coaching base or for local players. So I think, you know, in terms of the value there, it's certainly, you know, all very, very positive from my point of view. As a rating system compared to a ranking system, what are the pros and cons for you? Is it going to be advantageous down the track as we try and develop the best pathway system for young kids to progress in tennis? Look, I ran a major points tournament last year at Eaglemont Tennis Club and you get to the 16 uh, girls and a lot of them have dropped out. Running one really to me seemed like that there needed to be a change. Tournaments, you know, the pressure using a system that is at the professional level and applying it to kids that are 10, 11 and 12. With the pressure, with the points, with the race, the environment at junior tennis tournaments wasn't great. And I've been around a lot of tournaments. I really feel like it was a need for a change and to provide coaches or tournament, you know, managers, directors, another platform where you can just make it a lot easier to get matches between players of a similar standard. And I think that's what players want. That's what parents want. We want to be able to, you know, level the playing field. If I can provide, you know, matches where they're going to be similar standard and good matches, I think that's ultimately what everybody wants. At the end of the day, it's you versus the person down the other end. I don't think it should matter if it's a tournament or you know, what the event is. End of the day, it's you versus the other person down the other end. There's nothing wrong with that. So if you get two equal players, okay, we can talk about the logistics and we talk about consecutive matches and all that sort of stuff. There's nothing wrong with having one person versus the other person saying, look, you know, this match is going to count. You've got your UTR rating. You've got your UTR rating. Let's see what happens. You both want to win the match. I think there's a lot of sort of overthinking with this, which is understandable to, you know, and it's a completely brand new system. If I can provide matches between players of, of a similar level, from my point of view, it's it's a win-win. It's still very early days, but I've got kids at my club and they're saying, well, you know, I'm a 4.5, you're a 5, you know, they want to try and beat them. They're asking me what my UTR is. You know, they want to kind of get an idea. I guess it's a bit like golf. I think that that adds a, a healthy level of competition, you know, starts to get players thinking about, okay, well, you know, if I if I play that player and I and I and I do okay, my rating might go up. Even if even if I lose, similar system in America and and a similar system in golf. At the higher level, obviously, it becomes more complex. I'm just at the grassroots level as as a, as a local coach. I can imagine there'd be difficulties and complexities when you get to the ITF and the professional tour club level. I think um you know I think it's good. So that's Shane Scrutton, Yarra Tennis Coaching out at Eaglemont Tennis Club, just off the Eastern Freeway. Junior and adult programs available. Shane, with over 30 years' experience, his mission is to improve your game, whether you're a complete beginner or a serious player. Check out yarratennis.com.au. After the break, we'll get Jason Lindemann, high-performance coach in Melbourne. We'll get his view on UTR. Better solar, better batteries, better energy. 
With vSolar, you'll never have to pay another expensive electricity bill. Talk with a vSolar advisor. Visit v.solar to learn more. GLG Greenlight Group, leaders in property services and open space management at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis. It's our UTR discussion uh, part two. Wanted to play another coach for you, Jason Lindemann, high performance coach here in uh, Q in Melbourne, is a passionate tennis lifer. His views on UTR. Just up in uh, Wodonga on the weekend with a with the Pat Cash Cup. So there's 160 kids playing the event up there, um, which was great. Really good event and great to see tennis thriving in country Victoria. Um, yeah, I've been involved with the UTR for probably three years. Um, as a high-performance coach, I always have kids coming through who are looking at college tennis, so that's how I initially got involved with it. Um, and I think it's a fantastic product. Like Tom talked about last week, um, it is like your golf handicap. It means that you can go anywhere in the world and a nine is a nine. So we can get level-based play. Um, yeah, getting involved with the UTR, though, for me, we were told there's four pillars around UTR, that it, it should be gender neutral, age neutral, local and low cost. And it is a universal rating system. So I'm just not sure that it's designed to be a ranking system. And I have some concerns around how it's going to be rolled out as a ranking system and its effect on the numbers of players and especially, you know, country regions and and probably the smaller states like, you know, Northern Territory and Tasmania in terms of their tennis playing numbers. So what, what have you observed? Can you give us any sort of examples in the early part of this year or anything you've heard anecdotally from people that raises some concerns for you about the way it's been rolled out? Yeah, so as part of the competitive play framework, you know, they, they don't call them tournaments anymore. They're called events, partly to, um, to limit the number of pressure. But kids are obsessed with the UTR. They're, they're on the phone the whole time uh, checking their, their, their UTR. It, it's not live. It doesn't matter how much you educate them. They want to know what their UTR is. They want to know what everyone else's UTR is. I had kids coming off from matches yesterday and the first thing they said coming off the match, if they'd had a loss, a couple of them was, oh, that's going to ruin my UTR. I've just lost to a kid who's outside the two-point spread and I'm stuffed. You know, that I know that there needs to be a lot more education around it, but they're right. Every match now counts and, and um, it shouldn't all be about UTR. It shouldn't all be about ranking. But for the, the kids that are chasing, you know, they're on the that kind of pathway, unfortunately it is, and they're obsessed by it. And it, uh, for me, it's putting more pressure on them. Um, you know, not, not every, every match counts, but every game counts it because according to the algorithm, it rates you depending on how convincing or, or not your results is. So it's, um, it, it's, it's a massive focal point and everyone is talking about it and the kids are obsessed by it. So more, more so than points for me. So did you believe the, the old system, the Australian ranking system, did you believe that was broken? I've been involved in tennis for 47 years. That's a long time. And as long as I've been involved, there has been points attached to tournaments or since I've been playing competitive tennis. 
you know, every coach in Melbourne just about has come out of, you know, I can only really speak from Melbourne where I've been for 35 years. They've all come out of that pathway. So there has been a point system and, and there has to be a way to, to rank players. I think the UCR is fantastic, but I just don't think it's fit for purpose in terms of being the the ranking system. It could have sat behind the point system that we had. So the point system, what I heard last week on your show and, and anecdotally talking to other people is that there was points chases. There was kids traveling interstate to play more tournaments and perhaps that made it unfair. But having a universal tennis rating sitting behind that would combat it. Someone who played 30 tournaments, they'd have more opportunities to get a good ranking. But if they weren't beating anyone, then their rating, their UTR wouldn't be that high. You know, for me, there's checks and balances in there that would that would mean that they could both work. There were some flaws with the system. We have platinum, gold, silver, bronze, and white level events. And initially, I believe that they were meant to be, you know, set up according to your level. So we shouldn't have had uh, kids who can't clap their hands together playing in gold events and creating those unfair matches, which I know this, you know, the UTR banding certainly fixes. And we shouldn't have had really strong players playing in bronze and white events. But yeah, that, that would have been an easy fix if we set if we went back to that system, platinum, gold, silver, bronze, and white, and there's UCR bands dictating who can enter and who can't. It was free for providers because we're providing an additional service to the tennis players of Melbourne. So it sat behind tournament play and it just provided additional match play that was level based. And that's exactly what I've done. I've run three or four events at my club. We did invitation only. I had a one-point spread. So, you know, for those who don't understand UTA, everyone gets a number and an eight will beat a seven most of the time. But if we have people within that one-point spread, the match will be fairly close. A six and an eight waste of time most of the time. So we set up level-based play, low-cost, local, it was fantastic. This weekend, there's the 2022 Victorian Country Championships being held at Wodonga. And there's a lot of concern around the, the numbers of people playing. So previously, people would travel, play these tournaments and had a great experience and, and there were points. And uh, right now, I'm looking at the draw, there's 26 players entered for the Labor Day tournament at the Victorian Country Championships in Wodonga. So regional tennis is really concerned that people won't be travelling anymore. Okay, so that's Jason Lindeman. He did mention he was at the Pack Cash Cup in Wodonga over the weekend. Well done to the Northern Suburban Junior Tennis Association going back to back. Now, an added layer has emerged in the last few days. So UTR providers have been told that to keep their account active, they now have to sign a new contract by tomorrow, March 1, and pay a fee of $1,500 US for the first time. Now, I did get some clarification from Tennis Australia today. So Tennis Australia are aware of email communication. It has gone to a number of TAMA-affiliated clubs in the past week regarding renewal to the UTR club platform. Uh, The choice to subscribe uh, to the UTR club platform is a choice of the club, operator venue or association. And it's not a mandatory requirement of the new competitive framework. So every Tennis Australia member association affiliated club has access to free software. That's Tournament Planner League Manager that captures a registered player's results and provides a player's UTR rating with a 24-hour turnaround. Any club, operator, venue or association wishing to discuss that matter further with Tennis Australia can reach um, TA by email. That's competitive play feedback all one word, at tennis.com.au. For those panicking a little, saying, I've got no heads up here that I had to pay $1,500 to roll out the UTR when it's been free uh, for the last uh, three years. So head to competitive play feedback at tennis.com.au to seek some uh, clarification. All thanks to Yonex, 76 years of performance product crafted in Japan. Check out their latest range at yonex.com. 
Australia v Hungary, Davis Cup, Friday, Saturday. Surely we get it done. Do we go Popperin? Do we go Kokonakis behind Demonor? That's going to be an interesting one for Leighton Hewitt uh, this week. And for the next three weeks, we're going to bring you the first serve from Indian Wells. Looking forward to getting back to the Californian desert. Hit them well during the week. Talk to you soon. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.